I want to begin this morning by thanking you for your response to, to my announcement last week. Now, if you don't know what announcement I'm talking about, you shouldn't miss church. <laughs> no, the, the, the announcement that, that, that Ari and I are having our fifth baby and we couldn't be happier about that, uh, that new life, and we couldn't be happier about sharing that and sharing life with all of you. So thank you for your, uh, for your well wishes. Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. There is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. When I, uh, when I say the name Saint Nicholas, what do you think of? Red suit, a big beard, reindeer, a sleigh, a bowl full of jelly. I know 669 children and their families that would think of something completely different if I said to them, Saint Nicholas. Well, in, in fairness, though, to you, he never actually went by the name St. Nicholas, although he probably should have. So let me start again. If I said to you the name Nicholas Winton, what do you think of? It was 1938. Nicholas Winton was a 29-year-old stockbroker working in economically depressed London. We can picture what that looks like in our mind's eye if we want to, even if we do picture it in black and white. He's a hustling young man in an in a overworn suit. He's got the bags of an older man hanging beneath his spectacled eyes. The tough time. There were moments in the 1930s where it looked like things were going to pick up, but then every time it did, trouble hit, and employment dipped, and investors scattered. And so by December of 1938, young Nicholas Winton, this stockbroker, decided that he needed a break, and so he planned a ski trip to Switzerland, only he never made it there. Instead, he was convinced by his friend Martin Blake to go and visit him in Prague. And that decision, the decision to go visit his friend in Prague instead of going on his ski trip, would be a decision that changed his life forever. Because you probably remember that at that time, the violence that would one day spiral into the Second World War was already in full blaze in Central Europe. You're familiar with the Night of Broken Glass? That exercise in terror that robbed Jewish people of their businesses and of their homes? That had taken place a month before Nicholas Winton arrived in Prague. 
And four months after his trip, the Germans would take Czechoslovakia. And so this was a time of great disruption and many lives would be lost. Now, while Nicholas Winton was in Prague, he heard about how Britain was easing its immigration laws to make way for Jewish children to be brought there to safety. He'd heard about a program called Kinder Transport, where German and Austrian Jewish children were being transported. The parents couldn't come, and private citizens had to put up the money for the children's care. But over 10,000 children had been transported and had been brought to Great Britain for safety. And, and it occurred to Nicholas Winton while he was there in Czechoslovakia that a similar program needed to be set up there, but he didn't have much time. And so he set to work. He followed this motto, one that I like very much. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. There were no sanctions for what he did, but he just decided to do it from his hotel room. And when word got out what he was doing, these parents and these children, they, they lined up around his hotel, desperate to get involved with his program. Winton later would say the situation was heartbreaking. Many of the refugees hadn't the price of a meal. Some of the mothers tried desperately to get money for food for themselves and for their children. The parents desperately wanted to at least get their children to safety when they couldn't manage to get visas for the whole family. Winton says, I began to realize what suffering there is when armies begin to march. But Nicholas Winton got into the thick of it. He took a return trip to London. He rallied families together. He rounded up 50 pounds per child to pay for the deposit for their return trip home. He went to the newspapers and the synagogues and the churches and he posted pictures of the children. He posted pictures of these children as a, as a means of persuasion. Nicholas Winton got into the thick of it. On March 15, 1939, the Germans took Czechoslovakia. But on March 14, 1939, the first flock of Winton's children left the battlefield, left the battleground, left danger by way of a plane one day before. And by early August of 1939, 669, there's that number, 669 children would make it to safety because Nicholas Winton got into the thick of it. And so now you can see why perhaps he should be known as St. Nicholas. Because he got into the thick of it with parents who were making an impossible decision and with children who would be ripped up from everything that they knew just to survive. He got into the thick of it. He put a ski trip on hold, a ski trip that he had planned that he could have gone on. He got into the thick of it. This is what God does too. God gets into the thick of it. So many of the stories that we know and remember about God 
the ones that are most familiar are stories about God getting into the thick of it with his people. God doesn't stay away, you know? Go all the way back to when the Hebrew people are in Egypt and they're suffering under Pharaoh's hand and they're slaves in Egypt. God doesn't stay away. God gets into the thick of it by way of a burning bush and a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's what God does. Through Moses and his voice as he says, let my people go, God gets into the thick of it. And then when they make it to the promised land and they're still unwilling to fully trust God and they set up this monarchy that doesn't work out the way that they the way that they hoped. The greatest example of that, by the way, is Ahaz. Ahaz, who's best known for sacrificing his own child to a false god. Ahaz, who is this twisted and corrupt king. Ahaz, who, as Isaiah puts it, leaves Israel as nothing more than a stump. That's what we read about in today's text. Even after Ahaz, even after the people refuse to trust God, after he brings them to the promised land, God refuses to stay away. God gets into the thick of it. Isaiah 11 says, A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. God will get into the thick of it. And for Isaiah, that meant Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of Ahaz's sons, and Hezekiah would be a, a sign that there would still be life coming up out of the stump, and he would embody that by working to rebuild the temple and build a broad wall around the city and make way for fresh water, reliable fresh water to come into the city. But even that, even that, even Hezekiah, even that sprout from the stump was just a glimpse of the hope that God had in mind for the community. Because hundreds of years later, when it seemed like no life could come from that stump, when it seemed like the fear mongers and the empire builders would finally have their way with the faithful and the fragile, that's when God decided to go ahead and be born right into the thick of it. This is what God does. He gets into the thick of it. My favorite song of the season is called In the Bleak Midwinter. I, I bet we're going to sing it today. And I love that, I love that song. Uh, it's based on a 19th century poem by Christina Rossetti. And, and I love it, not because I believe that Jesus was born into some um, chilly New England landscape, although that would be a great story, because <laughs> then Jesus would be a Red Sox fan. <laughs> he is too, anyway, just so you know and a Celtics fan. Anyway, um, but we know that Jesus wasn't born. Jesus wasn't born in New England. Jesus wasn't born in the midwinter of Michigan. Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near the animals. 
because there was no room for Joseph and Mary in the inn. Right. Actually, I was expecting you to, to say the Greek for that, which is Cataluma. <laughs> you let me down a little bit. The Greek there is Cataluma. And we've always translated that as in. But elsewhere in the New Testament, it's used to describe something else, a, another room. You have to understand how houses were built in first century Palestine. Ian Paul writes, Houses were built with an upper room and a lower compartment for, anim for animals to be brought in at night. There would also be this family living area, which would usually have hollows in the ground filled with straw. And in the living area, at the end of the living area, animals would feed. And I know that's hard to conceptualize, so I actually put a picture of that on the inside of the back page of your bulletin. So it gives you an idea of where the Cataluma, that word we've always translated as in, would be. What then does it mean for the Cataluma to have no space for Mary and Joseph? Well, it probably means that there are a lot of people traveling to Bethlehem just like Mary and Joseph, and the Cataluma has already been taken up by relatives who arrived there earlier. And so Mary and Joseph actually have to stay in the main living quarters. You can see on that picture, and they're put at the far end of those living quarters near where the animals are brought in at night. And when the baby Jesus is born, the most natural place to place him is in one of those depressions where the straw is placed for the animals. And so in the Christmas story, Jesus is probably not born in some far-off stable away from everyone else, deserving of our, of our sympathy. Jesus instead is born right there with the family all around him, with all the visiting relations there to watch. Jesus is born in the thick of it. Which is awesome. And which is, which is why I love in the bleak midwinter so much because I believe that Jesus is born right into the thick of our midwinters where earth stands hard as iron and frosty winds moan and the waters like stone right into your midwinter, the thick of your midwinter, Jesus intends to be born. Christian hope is knowing that Jesus is born into the thick of the midwinter in us. So if it feels frosty in your spiritual life, remember this story of Jesus. I mentioned that the last of Nicholas Winton's transport was in August of 1939. I should have said the last of Nicholas Winton's successful transports was in August of 1939 because on September 1st of 1939, parents of 250 children said goodbye as their children boarded a train and
and they put those children in Nicholas Winton's care. But on that same day, Hitler invaded Poland, and everything changed. Winton recalls it. Within hours of the announcement, the train disappeared. None of the 250 children aboard was seen again. We had 250 families waiting at Liverpool Street that day in vain. If the train had been a day earlier, it would have come through. Not a single of those children was heard of again. And then he closes by saying, that is an awful feeling. We can't imagine, you know, we talk about our midwinters where we need Christ to be born, but we can't imagine the bleakness of that midwinter, can we? For those parents and for those children and, and even for good old St. Nicholas. Which is probably why he kept his achievement quiet for so long. For 50 years. And then his wife went up into it his attic, and she found a scrapbook with the pictures and the names of all of the children that he'd saved. And then unbeknownst to him, she gave that scrapbook to a BBC show called That's Life. And in 1988, he was invited to come to the show and be part of the audience. And this is what happened. The host thumbs through the scrapbook to the back. And she says, this is Vera Dormant. Now, Vera Gissing. Vera, you're with us here today, aren't you? And the camera pans to the audience, and there we see an older woman sitting next to an even older man. And the older woman is beaming. And the older man has these thick-lensed glasses on, and he's looking at the floor. And she, the host, says, Vera, I have to tell you, you're sitting right next to Nicholas Winton. This, it is obvious, is a fact that Vera knew, but Nicholas Winton did not. And she reaches over and grabs his hand, and he gasps, and then he starts to choke up. And the audience applauds, and he looks around, and then he looks straight at the floor again. And then he wipes one tear from his eye. But then the host goes on, and she says, can I ask, is there anyone here today that owes their life to Nicholas Winton? And the entire audience stands up. And he looks around, mystified at all these adult faces that are looking down on him, and then he takes his fingers and he wipes a tear from both sides. God was born into the thick of the midwinter 
1938 through Nicholas Winton. And then in 1988, God was born into the thick of Nicholas Winton's midwinter. May it be that God is born into the thick of your midwinters. And even more, may God be born into the thick of a midwinter through you. Amen.